please open a Bible this morning to Exodus chapter 15. This second book of the Bible is the story about God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. One commentator says that Exodus is the the gospel of the Old Testament. It's the story of the good news of God's rescue. That God will provide the sacrifice necessary to atone for his people's sins. It's the truth that reveals to us the truth that God hears our prayers and responds to us. Now, last Sunday in Exodus 13 and 14, we had this pivotal moment in which Israel was trapped with their backs against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army coming after them. And yet what looked like a barrier becomes a pathway of salvation. As God opened through the Red Sea a, a, a path of dry land and then used the waters to destroy the army pursuing God's people. Now, having crossed through, seeing the great power of God, the people of God lift a song of praise, a song taught to the nation as a whole, a song which celebrates God's rescue. I'm going to read Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21. If you're looking there in the Bible that's right in front of you, this is page 68. Exodus 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the, in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you? O Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, and to the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, 
took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Let's bow in prayer. God of grace and mercy, we thank you for the the clarity of your word, that it speaks directly to us and our needs. Lord, I pray that as we see your wrath and judgment, that we would understand our own position before you, that in our own strength, in our own righteousness, we stand condemned. And so, Lord, help us to see the good news of the gospel, that you are the one who provides for our rescue, that you have paid the price of redemption for us. Lord, as we come to your word, give us confidence to hear the hope of the gospel, to see the good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father in heaven, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe we'd understand the words to the song if, well, if he'd just been allowed to stand a little bit closer to the microphone. Because the only microphone in the recording studio was hanging from the ceiling up above the band. So the vocalist's microphone picked up on the enthusiastic playing of his bandmates. The chord progression is really simple. The lyrics, they're almost indiscernible. Oh, no. We ain't gotta go. Okay, at least that's pretty close to the original recording that the Kingsmen were covering. But you can honestly really sing almost anything, and it fits there. Blue eye, blue eye. Oh, no, a wig on a cone. Like, you can just throw nonsense phrases at it, and it fits. The, the raucous recording with its, with its garbled lyrics wasn't even meant to be heard by anyone. The band thought that they were just, just doing a sound check getting warmed up. The problem was the recording's engineer had already hit record. Well, and this was what you paid for, so this is what you're going to get. But it was that song with its energy and enthusiasm which hit the airwaves and, well, teenagers looking for rock and roll, well, they loved it. But some people found the lyrics offensive. Well, at least what they thought the lyrics said, that was definitely offensive. The governor of Indiana asked radio stations to ban the song from its playlists. The FBI got involved. They spent two years investigating the lyrics to Louie Louie. They produced a 140-page report with all kinds of creative options for the offensive things that might have been sung in the song. Now, the band, they, they, they insisted they were just covering someone else's song, and they were singing the original really simple lyrics. It's, it's actually a pretty chaste love song written from the perspective of a sailor who's hoping to get back and spend a little bit of time with his girlfriend. But actually, it was the controversy around the lyrics which, well, that was the best thing that could have happened to the band. I mean, one of the band members later wondered if if one of the, the studio executives had started the whole rumor. Because as reports about the investigation took place, well, what happened? People wanted to hear the song, which means they sold more records, which propelled the song to its number two spot on the Billboard charts, a song which has been covered 
thousands of times since then. One of the most covered songs in rock and roll history. See, it doesn't take much for us to find controversy, especially in a song. Because even if you can't find something bad in the lyrics, well, I mean, just listen to it. You know that that must be a dirty song, right? That rock and roll music. Now, of course, we don't have a recording of the song that's here, an audio recording of the song of Moses and Miriam in Exodus 15. And I'm hoping that musically it involves more than three chords. But what we do have is troubling. And it doesn't take an FBI investigator to tell us how horrific this song is. This is a song that celebrates drowning. This is a song that celebrates the the death of Pharaoh and his army. I mean, just look at the way the song begins. This is Exodus 15, verse 1. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Okay, actually, if you just thumb through your Bible, you could find that kind of phrasing throughout. The way songs begin, praising God because he is the one exalted. But, But this song says, why is he exalted? The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. See, this song celebrates drowning. It's a song that rejoices in the wrath and anger of God. And so how can we join in singing a song like this? Why is a song filled with death and violence even even in the Bible? And maybe this is, this is where you've always struggled with Christianity. You're, you're listening to the, the reading of God's word, hoping to find some, some glimpse of hope and truth, and yet, yet, well, here we go again. God in his anger, shooting out lightning bolts and bringing his wrath. So you might think that, well, this is the kind of God that I, I want nothing to do with. An angry God who's bent toward vengeance. But, but we have to remember, against whom is the anger of God coming? It's coming against Pharaoh and his army, which represent an evil empire set up in opposition to God and his purposes. An empire which has enslaved the people of God for generations. They have oppressed Israel. It's also an anger which comes against Pharaoh, even though God has repeatedly warned Pharaoh through the the plagues that that were brought by the power of God through the ministry of Moses. Pharaoh was given a time again and again to, to sort of throw in the towel and say, fine, I'm done. And despite the repeated warnings, Pharaoh continues to pursue. Pharaoh is unwilling to concede. And so the song, it it, it teaches us about who God is for his greatness, yes, shown even, maybe especially, in his anger. For there we see our position before God, our great need before God, that he would be the one to intervene. See, the song here in Exodus 15 shows us that God is victorious. We see that in the language that we've already read in verse 1, that he is the one who is highly exalted. He is the one who who hurled the enemy into the sea. That he lured Pharaoh, used, used Pharaoh's pride against him to bring him to this place where Pharaoh thought, wait, I've got chariots and all I have to do is chase down this, this lumbering group of, of unarmed people. I got this. And yet God lures him into the sea only to use the path of, of escape against Pharaoh and his army. 
The, Moses and Miriam, when they sing this song, verse 2 tells us that, that the song says that God is my strength and my song. The victory was gained not because of the might of Israel, but because of the strength of God. God is the, the song of his people. He's the very reason that they have to, to rejoice, to celebrate, that it was God's work. Verse 2, he has become my salvation. The rescue, the victory, the salvation, the redemption, it comes through the work of God alone. So the verse 3 reaches this, this point where it says, Yahweh, using the name of God, the Lord, Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Because remember, when it's capitalized, Lord, in your English Bibles, that's telling us that it's the transliteration of his name. This is the name by which he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, saying, I am the covenant God who remembers the promises I made in the past, and I will rescue my people. Yahweh is a warrior. Pharaoh's armies, the best of what Pharaoh could throw at God was nothing. They were swallowed by the sea. They sank to the depths like a stone. See, God is the destroyer of all things opposed to his power. See, when we say we want a God who is loving and kind, that's like saying you want a God who in this instance would say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, could you just play nicely? I mean, I know that for centuries you and your fathers before you were oppressing my people, but I'm asking nicely this time. No, see, a, a God who, who does that, I mean, we wouldn't want a, a preschool teacher talking that way to just say, well, you know what, you can just keep punching the kid again and again. No, it went, in the face of injustice, you would want somebody who has power to intervene. And so you would want God, a, a God who turns his back and says, well, Pharaoh, I, I, I mean, I, I tried everything I could. I asked him, and he's going to do what he wants to do. We would say, that's, that's not a God worth serving at all. We actually need a God who looks at injustice and says, that is wrong. That is evil. That must be stopped. See, and this really is the hope of the gospel. That when God looks upon injustice, when he looks upon evil, evil he will respond. And we already sang it in that, that great hymn, which connects the exodus to the resurrection of Jesus. Because, well, that's actually what the scriptures do for us. Connects the rescue of God with the great hope that we have ultimately in the resurrection. You can flip with me or just listen. This is 1 Corinthians 15. And in that chapter, the Apostle Paul describes the fact that, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the death of Jesus is the price that is paid to redeem us from our sin. The resurrection of Jesus proves Jesus' power. And then the Scriptures later in the chapter... This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Describe that Jesus will gain all victory, that Jesus is the warrior, the destroyer of evil. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. After Jesus is raised, when he comes again, then, then we too will be raised, and then this is what we read. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then the end will come. When the Christ hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, do you, do you hear 
the hope that is there for us? That a God who looks upon evil, any power that sets itself up against his good and loving and just rule, and God says, it will not stand, it will not last. Your sin will not have the last word. Death will not be the end because Jesus Christ in his resurrection will be the destroyer of evil. He will destroy all of his enemies and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death itself. See, you and I need a God who looks at evil and, res- and responds, who looks at injustice and will destroy it, not a God who turns and looks the other way. God is victorious. But, but, but Exodus 15 actually shows us even more that God, it, it, as we continue, it shows us that, that God is victorious, but God is also holy. Meaning, he always does what is right. He, every action of his is pure. Every motive is, is centered on his own glory. We see this in verse 6. That your right hand, O Yahweh, was majestic in power. A description of, of, a, of a warrior going into battle with armed for the fight. His right hand, it, it's, it's anthropomorphic language. Language talking about a human form to describe God. That his right arm gains victory. His right arm, your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. Verse 7 describes the greatness of God's majesty when he threw down his enemies. Verse 7 says, you unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. The anger of God is righteous and holy. Now, now we have trouble imagining this because most of our experience with anger is, is, well, our own anger or anger that other people have have shown toward us, which is often tainted by by sin, by selfish motives. But God's anger is to look at true anger, a righteous anger is to look at injustice, call it evil, and to respond by ending injustice. It's by the blast of God's nostrils flared in anger that the waters of the sea are piled up like walls to protect the people as they walk through. But then that water comes crashing down on the enemy. And notice the, the, the way in which the, the goodness of God, the power of God, the righteousness of God is, co- is contrasted with the motives of Pharaoh and his army. Verse 9 tells us what the, what the enemy is thinking. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will devo- d- divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my, my hand will destroy them. See that the enemy coming after the Israelites thinks, well, this isn't even going to be it. Like, this is not a fair fight. We are the greatest army on earth in chariots chasing down this group of people wandering, which, I mean, they look like they're lost, wandering through the desert. And remember, the, the Israelites had, had taken the spoils of war from Egypt. They had taken gold and silver with them. And so these soldiers think, wait, I get to take all of that back. When we divide up the spoils of war, I, I get a cut of that for sure. And the motives of, of the army of Pharaoh are for their own glory, for their own gain. And yet God is the one who, who merely with his breath can destroy them. I mean, it, it's not a fair fight, but, but not in the way that, that Pharaoh and his army thought. It's not a fair fight because they're fighting against 
Yahweh? And that's the question that, that then gets asked in, in verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, O Yahweh? I mean, the, the other gods here given a, a hypothetical existence so that the question can sort of answer, there is no one like God. There are no, true, there are no other gods like the true God. And we, we already know this by the time we've gotten to this point in Exodus because every one of the, the gods of Egypt that stood up to fight against Yahweh got knocked down by the plagues, destroyed by God's power. And so the question, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? And then Moses and Miriam and the, the people of God sing this song in, in verse 11. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? God is perfectly pure. His actions and motives, holy. Set apart, different from us, showing us that God is transcendent from us, above us, unlike us, and yet decides to enter into relationship with us. Who is like you, O Yahweh? The one who is majestic in holiness. God who is awesome in his glory, the one who can work wonders. Of course, the answer is, there is no one else like Yahweh. He stretched out his right hand, and it's as if the earth swallowed the enemies of God's people. God is victorious. God is holy. And then this song tells us that God will reign forever. We see that as, as the song ends in verse 18. Yahweh will reign forever and ever. The, the song looks back at what God did in rescuing his people. In the immediate past, we've just seen the deliverance of the Lord, but it looks forward in hope, knowing that God's reign, God's kingdom lasts forever. Now, this section in particular is, is difficult for translators because the, the, the song switches between past tense and present tense and future tense verbs. Verse, verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. It could just as well be translated, in your unfailing love, you led the people you redeemed. Because the, the song purposefully switches back and forth, almost forcing us to recognize that what God did in the past is what God will do in the future. What God will do in the future is what we're seeing God do for us right now. It, it's, it's saying to us, the God who rescued you didn't just create a pathway through the sea and then shoo you along and wave goodbye. No, this is the God who will continue to be with you. Look at what, what the song says. In your un, verse 13, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. God, even in his holy, majestic transcendence, decides not to stay away from us, but to enter into relationship with us, his people. To lead us, to go with his people. He, the, the song then describes the, the nations through which Israel will have to pass in order to get into the promised land of Canaan. And, and the victory that God gained in Egypt will be heard about by those nations so that they will know God will gain the victory over them. It, it, it's almost as if, as if Moses traces the line showing the pathway that God's people will take through Philistia and then Edom and Moab and then into the land of Canaan. That God will be with his people. He will gain victory 
over the nations so that he can lead them into the place of his holy dwelling, verse 13. He he can lead them to the place where he will plant them on the mountain of the inheritance which he gives them. That's verse 17. God is leading them from Egypt into the land of promise, where God will plant them. God will give them this inheritance into a land that's already prepared for them, to walk in and have fields that are cultivated, ready to, ready to provide for God's people. And God says in verse 17, he's taking them to the place that he made for his own dwelling. He's taking them to provide a sanctuary, a place of protection, a place of his presence with his people. He's the one who establishes this. That he's the God who, who sees evil, responds, and does so in perfect holiness, and then does it by being alongside us in this. See, the song of Exodus 15 is a song that celebrates, yes, one specific action of God, leading his people across dry land. But it's a song that's meant to be sung because it tells us what God did is what God will do. What God will do is what God has done. What God is doing for you right now is fulfilling the promise, giving you the inheritance, not merely in the land of promise in Canaan, but the land of promise at the resurrection. Heaven itself, the presence of God, his sanctuary and dwelling forever. And so this song of Exodus 15 is meant to be taught to the people. That's what we see that, that Miriam, who is, look at verse 20, she's described as the prophetess. Meaning she's the, like a, a prophet, one who speaks on God's behalf with the authority of God when God's Holy Spirit fills her with a message from God. She's described for us as Aaron's sister. Now, it might seem that it would have been easier for Moses to just say, oh, yeah, yeah, my sister Miriam. But he connects her to the oldest brother, his older brother, and also the one who will be the, the priestly line of Aaron. That's, it's, it really is the natural way to introduce her. Well, this is not the first time we've met her. It is the first time we've heard her name. Because, well, there was a sister of Moses, likely here, Miriam who is used by God, not merely as a a prophetess, like she's described here, but she's used as a rescuer. Because you remember back at the beginning of the book, when when Pharaoh had set an evil decree that every male child was to be slaughtered, what happened to baby Moses? Well, he was placed inside a basket and set afloat on the river, and rescued by the daughter of the evil king. And then Moses' sister says, oh, I've got the perfect plan. I've got somebody who could take care of him right now, his own mother. See, Miriam, we've already met. She's one used by God, and she's here leading the people of God, leading the the women, teaching them. God, this song will be sung again. When the, the victory that is promised in this song comes to pass, if you turn all the way in the, to the back of your Bibles, to the very last book, the book of Revelation, which John is describing for us what will happen at the end. When we turn to Revelation 15, we we see the, the, the promised victory that will come when God's wrath is unleashed against all of the evil in the world. Fully and finally, God will gain victory. Listen as I read. This is Revelation 15, beginning at verse 1. John describes, he says, I saw in heaven... 
another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name, they held harps given to them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Do you see here what, what John is doing is picking up on the language of the Exodus to describe the great victory that Jesus will gain at his, at his, when, he, when he comes again. It, it's, it's the language of plagues from Exodus. It's the, the, the language of God's wrath being fully and finally unleashed, which we have in Exodus 15. And so then they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The song in, in, is described here as the song of Moses. Well, back in Exodus 15, how many times did Moses' name appear in the song? Not at all. He's introduced as the singer, but the song doesn't celebrate the work of God's servant because he is just God's servant. Yes, he raises his hands, he speaks the message, but it is God who breathes upon the waters. It is God who destroys the enemies. Moses, in his humility, exalts the Lord. But we, we call it the song of Moses. Now, to be fair, I, I should point out to you, there is one other place in the Old Testament where Moses sings. It's at the end of Deuteronomy, and, and it's a song which celebrates God's great power. But, but I think the song of Moses in Revelation 15 is really referring back to Exodus. Because of the language I've already pointed out about the, the plagues and the wrath of God, which is the theme of Exodus 15. But, but notice, notice the song is no longer me, called merely the song of Moses, the servant of God. What is it called in Revelation? It is the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Because ultimately, God will make his kingdom last forever. He will dwell with us by providing the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So you and I deserve the wrath and judgment that, that was unleashed against Pharaoh and his army. You and I are sinners who stand before God, and if we try and stand in our own goodness, then we deserve the wrath of God. And yet we can celebrate, we can sing this song because of the song of the Lamb. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. The Lamb who gave his life for us. See, ultimately, the, the death of Christ shows us that God's response to evil is both just and loving. He's not a God who merely swats his hand in anger. He's the God who wraps his arms around us in love by sending his own son, the Lamb. So that when the song is sung at the end of history, when the song is sung in heaven, Revelation 15 continues. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. See, the song of Moses is the song of God leaving the nations in destruction as his people pass by. But the song of the Lamb then invites the nations to come and be welcomed into the chorus, to sing a song of praise to God, bowing the knee and proclaiming Jesus to be Lord. God redeemed his people. 
He saved them from their enemies. He brought them into the land of promise so that they would be free to sing this song of praise to his glory, to exalt his goodness and love. They celebrate his wrath because they see in it God's protection. We rightly celebrate the power of God, the fact that his kingdom will last forever and ever. We rejoice that he is the true God who brings justice. But he is also the God of grace and mercy who sent his son to be our lamb. The energy of Louie Louie makes that song really singable. But I almost never even try to sing it with its original lyrics. Instead, when I'm in chapel with our three- and four-year-olds, I sing it with different lyrics from the book of Exodus. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. And maybe these lyrics are, are really inspired somewhat by the original. Because the Kingsman version that you've heard was a cover of a cover that was getting back to the original songwriter, Richard Berry, and the name of his band, The Pharaohs. It's Richard Berry and The Pharaohs. So I think singing Pharaoh, Pharaoh still pays homage to the original songwriter. In the version I sing with our preschoolers on Wednesday morning in chapel, Moses sings, A burning bush told me just the other day. And then it tells the story of how God led Moses back to Egypt to bring God's people out. It tells the story of them being trapped at the Red Sea, but how God provided a way for them to all of God's people walked, uh, walked across dry land. And then the song, when the water comes crashing down, I get these little ones to sing with me, and all of Pharaoh's army did the dead man's float. Which is a pretty terrible image but it shows us the glory of God, majestic in holiness, coming to rescue his people. Yahweh deserves all of our praise. He is highly exalted because he has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. There is no one else like him. There is none other that is majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonder. He is the God who will reign forever and ever. Now, maybe one day I'll sing the song to the tune that Moses and Miriam wrote. But today, we can join with our preschoolers. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in your anger, you respond to us with mercy. For you are just and holy in all your actions. You always do what is right. And our sin deserves punishment. So, Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to rescue us from our sins. That he is the one who died in our place. And so that when we put our trust in him, we might have the hope of eternal life. That we can lift our voices to praise your name. For you are the God who intervenes. You hurled the horse and the rider into the sea. You rescued your people. And you have rescued me. So, Lord, I give you praise for the work of Jesus Christ, my Savior, Jesus, your Son, Jesus, the Lamb of God. We pray in his name. Amen.